You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Check, please. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks Limit Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. My name is John Gordon. I'll be your host. And I'm your host, Katie Burke. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast. everybody, welcome back to the Ducks on the Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. Joining me in studio today is my co-host, Dr. Mike Brazier. Mike, how are you? Doing well, Chris. Uh, how you doing? Doing awesome. Also joining us for this Halloween special, once again, the guys from Expanded Perspectives, Kyle Filson and Cam Hale. Kyle, Cam, welcome back to the Ducks Unlimited podcast. Thank you very much. We're super psyched about being here, man. We had a good time last time. Looking forward to today's show. Always fun talking to you guys. Yeah, this is going to be fantastic. So where this whole show came from is our social media editor, Mallory Murphy, wrote a piece on basically it's like spooky hunting destinations. Now, we're not necessarily referencing the hunting at these destinations. We're just pointing out these really odd and bizarre stories and tales and folklore from all of these cool waterfowl hunting destinations. Some that waterfowl hunters probably hunt at on a regular basis. And what we're going to do here with this show is we wanted Kyle and Cam to come on and just basically have like a natural reaction and discuss some of these locations. I know Kyle mentioned that he has family from where one of them, one of these locations. And so he's very in tune to that. They've heard of stories from all these. So I'm excited to get their reaction. And of course, Mike's as well. So I'm going to debunk everything. That's my role here, right? Because I yeah. wasn't on last year's episode. Yes. He's, gonna, I, yeah, he's here to keep, debunk. We're going we're gonna to look for the facts. Yeah. The Dr. Mike Brazier is here <laughs> to point out. He's going to say, this is not factual. So if he starts into that, let's just ignore him, guys. We'll just You'll disregard mute my microphone. Kyle, you kind of mentioned that that you did have some experience with some of these, but as a whole, you know, you guys have probably covered so many spooky destinations. Are there any of those, obviously, that aren't on this list that jump out to you guys and say, man, we've we've had 10 different stories about this same location? Uh, yeah, there's been a plethora of strange sightings in and around the city of Stephenville, Texas. Mm. There was a famous case years ago where over like a period of a couple of days, there was a lot of UFO sightings and activity. And, you know, fighter jets were scrambled from nearby Carswell Air Force Base. It's a naval air station now. Um, and there was a lot of people from not just residents of the, in the local area, but farmers, ranchers, police officers, uh, highway patrolmen. A lot of people saw it. Uh, over the over the course of a few days. But other than that, there's a lot of strange sightings that go in and around that area of things like Sasquatch and unusual activity, cattle mutilations, uh, not quite crop circles, but strange marks left on the ground. And you hear this all the time. A lot of people I know that are friends of mine, they have deer leases and places like that that they hunt in and around the city of Stephenville. And there's just a lot of strange happenings. And I don't know what it is about that area, but there's certain areas in North America, for whatever reason, 
it seems like there's a, there's like hot spots. There's the, there's a lot of activity, and it's not only one solitary you know type of phenomenon. There's lots of strange stuff that happens, whether it's ghosts, whether it's strange lights, orbs in the sky, or actual footprints. Uh, you know, animals going missing or found dead with puncture marks. Just strange things. But there's like these different hot spots all across the U.S. And unfortunately, a lot of people hunt in those same exact locations. Yeah, I mean, they're the hunters, are, and that kind of points out in this story that hunters are the people who stumble into, you know, some of these areas, you know, early morning, you know, and they're the ones who are coming back and even sharing these stories about, you know, anything from ghosts to, like you mentioned, you know, just really, really strange happenings and all these. So um, let's go ahead and get the first story. I think we have a little introduction to do to the stories first that uh, we had someone read, and then we'll go ahead and put these stories out, which were written by Mallory Murphy and also read for the DU Podcast by Mallory Murphy. We're, we're going to keep the lights on here because I don't want to get Oh, yeah. You're already right? getting scared. <laughs> Haunted hunting destinations. Here are a few of the spookiest stories from some of the country's top waterfowling destinations by Mallory Murphy. According to legend, ghosts, ghouls, and other mythical creatures that sneak through the early morning gloom will inevitably cross paths with those who spend time in their secluded haunts. As waterfowl hunters, we find ourselves in foggy, damp, eerie conditions that can play tricks on already heightened senses. As a service to Ducks Unlimited members, we looked into reports of paranormal activity in some of the nation's top waterfowl hunting destinations. So you'll be better informed about what might be waiting in the pre-dawn darkness and possibly even verify the unexplained. Listener discretion advised. You don't know what the first thing was that stood out to me? What? I started, I started wondering if there's a technical definition or difference between a ghost, a ghoul, and a goblin. Ooh. And there is. So now you're trying yes. to identify. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure, yeah. These, Kyle? That, yeah, I was going to say that's Cam, Cam and Kyle can probably identify that. On that. Yeah, well, I mean, you're talking about one's physical and one's not necessarily physical. One could possibly be the remains or the leftovers of a human being. One also could be a fake character, a fake mm-hmm. creature. Yeah. So it's more of a awesome. yeah, of a back and forth. All right. Neither one of them do you really want to bump into. But I guess if you had to take a ghost, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they really- <laughs> you would choose the ghost over the ghoul or the goblin every time. Every, every time. time. Every time I'll take the ghost. And you never see you never see ghost in the daytime. It's always at night. Which is no one scares you. Odd, right? Why come you never see them during the daytime? <sighs> They're sleeping. And how come ghosts only come back as, as as humans or you have phantom trains or things like that, but you don't have like ghosts of cats we or do horses every now very, again, often, but not very or, often yeah. or just livestock, you know, a cow. You never, you never hear that. Yeah, because uh, like no one's scared of a cow. <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> you know, true. There's no... Uh, You've never been scared true. of a cow? You've oh, not I mean, been I in have, the right pasture yeah. at the right time to be scared of a cow. Yeah, well, I've not worked calving season. That's right. I guess I would probably choose a goblin because Whoa. I feel like I have a chance to kill it. Yeah. So here, here here's the definition creature. if you want to trust the internet. A goblin is a type of monster. They're not human. Usually they're green and small. Pretty weak too, but in a swarm, they're dangerous. So if you're just encountering one of these things, a goblin is the way to go. I mean, if I'm out duck hunting, I'm, I mean, I'm taking a goblin for sure because I've got, you know, guns and all kinds of stuff. You definitely don't want to uh, encounter a ghoul. 
there. No. Undead and bloodthirsty. Bad. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to go. Yeah. You can't really knock a ghost down with a shotgun. That's true, and that's what I was going to say. But the hardest part about a goblin, I would imagine, if you're out duck hunting and you run into one, is then how do you put its little legs on your duck strap to hang it in the blind? After you, yeah, you think it. they're banded? <laughs> yeah, that thing banded? The, just put them in the bag. Yeah, know, just throw them in the bag. Strap. <laughs> yeah, you right. like your dove hunting. You put it in the bag behind your back, and then they actually that's come it. alive, come yeah. out of there again. That's great. Oh, that was yeah, that'd be awesome. All right, let's kick off this first story, Chris. Let's see. Uh, let's see what we got. The Great Lakes make up the largest freshwater system on the continent, but they are also some of the most mysterious lakes in the country. From ghost ships and lake monsters to urban legends and unexplained phenomena, each lake has its own home. Lake Superior is known as one of the most haunted bodies of water in the United States. One stretch of shoreline in Michigan earned the title Graveyard of the Great Lakes, with over 200 shipwrecks in one area. The most famous of the Great Lakes ghost ships is the SS Bannockburn, a.k.a. the Flying Dutchman a Canadian freighter that disappeared in 1902. To this day, it is reported to be sailing the waters of the lakes. The Flying Dutchman. What do you guys think? How much experience do you guys have going up or visiting or even hearing stories about the Grace Lakes? Oh, we've listened to stories about the Great Lakes forever, basically. I mean, it's one of those things. It really is a ship graveyard. People don't realize it that haven't been there. I myself haven't been on the Great Lakes. But when you start researching and looking into it, you realize it's an ocean. It's a freshwater ocean is what you're dealing with. Absolutely. In that whole place. So I can only imagine back in the day, whenever the main mode of transport and transportation was nothing more than ships, what it must have been like around there. So I'm sure the tales, any kind of tale that goes along with it goes right along with that. Is it's there's going to be there's a lot of tragedy around the Great Lakes, a mm-hmm. lot of it. And, of course, a lot of it is on there. So I'm not surprised. We've had stories of ghost ships. So anytime, it's one of my favorite stories is the idea of ghost ships. Yeah. So anytime that's out there, I'm like, dude, that's cool. Yeah, no, and that's a cool story just in the sense that, you know, what makes the Great Lakes so, I guess, relatable to people is there's so many people that live in and around the Great Lakes mm-hmm. now. And so you've got a lot of eyes on those waters, right? I mean, Mike, what did you th- kind of take away from that? Yeah, I, I'm kind of trying to, th- my mind went to um, to uh, where Cam was was talking about just in terms of, I mean, that's the way that people used to get around. And still, still there's a lot of transportation, a lot of shipping that, that happens up there. And I've been on the some of the Great Lakes and, and the waters can get incredibly, uh, incredibly rough. Um, so how that kind of tragedy at least physically, can happen. Makes a lot of sense. But are there other, uh, other, other things at play? Mysterious things at play. We don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I always think about what never got reported. Think about the number of of shipwrecks or lost ships on the Great Lakes, be it big or small, that were never reported. That back in the day, of course, they had no ship logging the way it was. This little ship just set out to run across there, you know, to pick something up and come back in a few days, and never showed back up. So, I mean, people didn't know to look for them by the time it was a week, by the time they were not in port. Then you realize, like, we may have a problem. So there may be endless numbers of spirits that haunt the shores and waters of the Great Lakes. Yeah, and, like, even as far back as, like, you know, the fishing and hunting and trappers, you know, back in the day, like you mentioned. I mean, these guys are going out in probably small boats, Mm -hmm. and there's no tracking. There's no, you know, necessarily like a log that they went out and never came back. And 
you know, may never, you know, have ever been found or reported even. Yeah. You know, so that that's kind of the creepy thing, you know, sitting along the edge of a marsh uh, along the Great Lakes and, uh, you know, seeing seeing a ghost ship or, you know, at right at shooting time, you know, a ghost ship cruising through your decoys. That, that'd be uh, that'd be something else. Just like a small boat. Yeah. Yeah. Even like a trapper or yeah. you know, something like that paddling that through. More like unsettling. Than something large. I think so too. Yeah. Oh, that would that would, I'd just real it. quiet. One guy pulling through there, and there he is. You're mm-hmm. like, what? Yeah, that's what I was. What I was trying to think of is that the SS Edmund Fitzgerald. Yeah, that's the one of the classic you know shipwrecks. Yeah, that and was, that on was Lake, Lake, uh, Lake Superior. Oh, was Superior. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was trying to okay. figure out. Yeah. I had to. That's why I got the little handy computer here. There you go. Great song too. Stuff, but uh, it is a fantastic song. <laughs> fantastic song. And there's a uh, there's a Lake Michigan monster too that's reportedly seen every once in a while and it's kind of like the Loch Ness monster that's the way it's described yeah oh no I mean that and I'm sure the people who are reporting that are the people who are the watermen who are out there all the time I mean they're the ones who are seeing these things right and there's lots of theories as to what they're seeing uh, is it just a sturgeon is it something else but they're like no like you said these are experienced fishermen and they're like no what I saw was not a sturgeon this thing had a long neck and it looked like a plesiosaur and it's been sighted you know for over the last couple hundred years, there's always every once in a while, you'll get somebody. Of course, you never get a good photograph, but people see it. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, Word and, and the legend kind of spreads and people tell it to their grandkids and the story just grows and grows and grows. And you can go around gas stations around there and, you know, they make t-shirts up and everything about it. And they make, you can get you a koozie with the Lake Michigan monster on it. You know, they feed into it kind of like the Mothman and stuff. Or they have a festival. Yeah, sure. You know, that, that's one of the, a lot of the other stories, or at least a couple of the other stories, I think, have um, have festivals around some of these uh, yeah. ghosts, ghouls, or goblins. Deeply stalked. All deep fun and games until you see one. That's right. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's effective marketing. You got to get, you know, you got to take advantage tying, of that stuff. Tying it all together. All right, Chris, let's queue up one more. Yeah, no bad press for the monsters in Lake Michigan. Lake Huron has the ghost of a young woman who roams the beaches waiting for her sailor to return. Minnie Quay, a Forrester, Michigan resident, met a sailor and gave her heart away. Her parents forbade their relationship, and when the sailor's ship left the harbor, she wasn't allowed to say goodbye. In 1876, she got word that a ship supposedly went down during a storm. She was absolutely devastated and jumped off the town's pier into the freezing lake and took her own life. Why is it that so many of these stories have at their at their center, let's say a a grieving woman uh, that comes back as a ghost, jilted lover, broken woman. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You guys probably get a lot of those. There are numerous accounts. I've covered some of the exact same thing in Florida. We've got them. Uh, what is it? The Lady in White in Lake Dallas. Yeah, mm-hmm. we've got endless stories that literally you could pick and plug into any state around at any lake, uh, anything along the edges of, you know, coastlines, all of that. It is wild how that folklore has bled into so many other areas and facets of Americana that it, like you're talking, you got Lake Superior, you can drop down into Florida, you can go find them in, uh, in the Carolinas. All of these exact same stories of a sailor was gone, a woman was in love with him, her father wouldn't let them marry because he's a terrible person. She finds out he's dead. Uh, he, she kills herself in some form or fashion. And then now all you see is her roaming the beaches at night always looking for her lost love. That story can be retold in, in any coastal town 
around the U.S. It almost seems like it. And to be honest, you have to look at it through two sides of either coin of it. You have to look at it this way. Yeah, there's a lot of stories like that. But if each one of you were to start telling stories of people you know that were injured in car accidents, how long could you go? So there's a lot of ships. There's a lot of that. I'm not saying it did happen or didn't, but the fact that that story gets told a lot in the folklore makes sense because for the time, I'm sure there were a lot of young women heartbroken over sailors back in the day. I mean, it happens now. I'm sure it happened back then. Probably more. Yeah. So. And, and what is that saying? Hell hath no fury. Oh, like yeah. A woman's scorn. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's maybe there's an element of truth to it. That's right. Facts. Yeah. yeah. So there is, it's, it's, it is wild though how many of those stories are cookie cutters from other areas, mm-hmm. but it's still all that unsettling. And it doesn't, it doesn't take away, right? I'm not minimizing anything of each story. It is just like, it, I don't know if it's more or less believable when you start looking at it like that to where like all of these stories happen. Then you get people that have these sightings that report seeing these specters on the beach or wherever it's at. And you're kind of like, all right, well, I mean, you know, 200 miles north of here, they have the exact same thing. You know, down in Texas, they have. I mean, it's it's strange that it's that way around it, but it makes sense. What's going to be interesting is if we fast forward about 20 years. And Chris, you know how the uh, women in waterfowl hunting is a growing, the, the women segment of the waterfowl hunting yeah. uh, community is one of the fastest growing. So what happens in 20, 30 years? Are the, are the women going to be, women hunters going to be as likely to see these these female apparitions, female ghosts and ghouls as, as male hunters? Yes. That's going to be interesting to reflect on. You think so? Yeah, lots of times women are a little more attuned to the strangeness, to the weird things that go on. We've met people that are definitely tuned differently than everyone else. And it's, you're a doctor. I mean, you understand. Look, I'm colorblind. We all have the exact same pair of eyes. My eyes don't see the same color as yours. So you already have a leg up in perceiving the world that we live in over me because of that. So if there's a possibility there, then there's a possibility of other vibrational changes, maybe. I don't know how it works, that other people seem to be tuned into these things. And women and children seem to be tuned in sometimes more than most men. It's another reason to invite a woman hunting with you. They can relate to those ghosts or, or, or apparitions and maybe better protect you in the bar. Or flip side, <laughs> she feeds you to it. Flip side, she's going to feed you to this monster. Oh, yeah. Heads up, gentlemen, if you decide to take your partner with you, make sure the partner is happy before you head into the woods. Yeah. Yeah, and when the the ghost or ghoul or specter shows up, there's a possibility that she's yeah. in on. It. Oh, yeah. so don't sure. Forget. And then yeah. she'll see you later after she's killed you. You'll be able to complain then. So you are right, though. Women are more perceptive. I think that's why you see more palm readers that are women. You see more tarot card readers that are women, mediums, things like that. I just think that they're more perceptive than men. Maybe men are just too dumb to realize. Yeah, we're just that's me. we're just bumbling around, not paying attention to what we're doing. We want to fix it, whatever it is. Yeah, they're we're there to hunt. We're there to compare who's got the coolest camo, who's <laughs> yeah. got the nicest shotgun, yes. you know, who's got the best trained dog. Check these boots out. Yeah, that's what it's about. You like this camo yeah. pattern. It's a fashion show. Yes, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. All right, Chris, let's cue up the next one. Lake Ontario has its own ghost fleet. During the War of 1812, American vessels were stationed on the lake. Due to no wind, that is stay put overnight. Early the next morning, a squall rushed through the area, taking them by surprise. Two schooners, the Hamilton and the Scourge, capsized and sank in a matter of minutes. Over 50 sailors died in the incident, 
making it the largest loss of life on the lake during the war. For over 200 years, people have shared the tales of soldiers that emerge out of the fog on cold nights. Ooh, there we go, adding in the fog. We really haven't mentioned that. I think last year when we did ours, um, we had a lot of references to the fog, and you guys had some really cool insights. But, I mean, if I'm out there in Lake Ontario, you know, setting a diver I don't want line, any, I don't want any part of that. And all of a sudden you look up, <laughs> and there's like two or three schooners coming out of the out of the fog. And, yeah. And, and ghostly military personnel? No, I don't nah, want any part of that. Nah. You're from so, the back of the duck boat? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. <laughs> you know, you guys explained that last time, but maybe... For, for some listeners who didn't listen to that episode, what is, you know, we talk about things coming out of the fog all the time. And you guys both had really good kind of explanations for that when we talked about it. Um, share with us that, you know, your guys' thought on the fog and why people always see things there. I don't, I don't know, but it does seem to, it's not just a, a movie effect that they use in horror films and stuff. There really does seem to be something different about the fog and, and sightings of the paranormal. I remember we had a listener call in and talk to us. He was in the Navy. I don't remember what the exact position is called, but his his job was the guy with the big giant binoculars that was, you know, searching the horizon, scanning all the time for other ships or anything that's around. And he said that one morning, it wasn't just him, but him and a couple different guys, uh, there was a fog rolling in almost out of, out of nowhere. It came in really quickly. And he said the fog rolled in. The ocean was really calm that day, like, like glass, like you've ever been on a lake and it's just so calm. You could slalom ski like a champ on it. I mean, it was just perfect. And he said everything got real quiet and there all of a sudden he saw something in the fog and when he pulled up his binoculars and was looking, he said it looked like an ancient Chinese sailing ship from like the 16th century. I mean, impossibly old. He couldn't believe what he was looking at. He, he passed the binoculars to some other guys. They saw it too. They didn't see anybody on the deck. They didn't see any people, but it looked like an ancient Chinese like pirate ship. And he said that it just went back into the fog. And about 30 minutes later, the fog cleared and they, they never saw it again. And he said, you know, there was no breeze out there. So even when the fog cleared a ship like that, that was that close to them, they still it wouldn't have been able to go off the horizon. They would have been able to see it and there was no ship there. And that's just one case. We have lots of people that write in that are hunting. And they'll be in their deer stand or they'll be in their, their ladder stand or they'll be in a you know pop-up blind or something. And all of a sudden, the forest will go quiet. They won't hear any insects, no more birds. It's And then a fog will roll in. And they don't necessarily see things, but it's like... It's like the mood changes. You can almost feel it. It's palpable. Something is different. And I think in those situations, it's almost like time stops for people. And that's when people start having some strange experiences. They might see orbs. They might hear strange things, wood knocks. Now, you're probably you're just your imagination getting out, of, getting out of hand. But the fog does seem to cause strange things to happen. And we really don't know why. What he's referring to also is what's known in the paranormal world as the Oz effect like Wizard of Oz, and it's the silencing in the woods like that. It's when everything goes quiet, and it's extremely abnormal to where there's nothing. And the, that fog or the mist almost seems to not only just bring it on, but it seems to be the veil of where it's the thinnest, to where like the strangest things will happen in and around that area. It's funny that Stephen King decided to write a book about it several years ago. I mean, it's there's something to it whenever these creepy stories. And like he's pointed out, there's a lot of stories on the lakes to where that fog will come rolling in and then something appears out of it. 
almost like it is the carrier for that. So I don't know, but it is extremely unsettling. Heads up again, folks. If the fog's rolling in, you might want to go back up. <laughs> the other, I'll be like, hey, look, I'm going to bounce. I'll come back when it's sunny. <laughs> yeah. the, the other thing about fog is that it obscures the vision of pretty much, like obviously of all people, but of, of animals as well. You know, you think there are some animals that have night vision that can see really well at night, but you have, and I'm not, uh, this is not my area of specialty, but you have to think that their ability to see and perceive even at night when the fog rolls in is limited as well. And so mm-hmm. it is this universally yeah. impairing sort of physical uh, presence that um, yeah, that probably adds to the to the unease. Of, and of that's that what situation. gives evil a chance to hunt in it is it's not impaired by it. Well, and yeah, I think you're right. The animal's vision and everything is impaired. That's why when a thick fog rolls in, it's like all the creatures, they stop moving. Everything just beds down, mm-hmm. quits moving. Because they're, just as, freak, they're yeah. just as freaked out as you are, right? So, yeah. Except for those that are able to detect uh, by, by way of heat signature, let's say by snakes or something like that. Oh, yes. yeah. 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 <laughs> That's why the creepy crawlies, they're still out. And T-Rex. And <laughs> T-Rex. <laughs> the Predator. Goblin bait. The Predator, yeah. That's a good Missing one. Messing around with the Glimmer Man. Yeah. All right, Chris, let's queue up the next one. The Jersey Devil, or Leeds Devil as locals call it, has been roaming the Pine Barrens of South Jersey since at least 1735. This tale has many versions, but the following is the most popular. Legend has it that Pine Barren resident Jane Leeds, or Mother Leeds, discovered she was with child for the 13th time. She cursed the child in frustration and suggested that this one may be the devil. When the child was born one stormy night, it transformed into a horrible, elongated creature with red eyes, bat-like wings, a goat or horse-like head, cloven feet, and a forked tail. Mother Leeds confined her child until it escaped up the chimney and off into the swamps it went. For centuries, the Jersey Devil menaced townspeople, harmed livestock, and haunted the surrounding wetlands. People still report seeing strange things and hearing an unexplained, blood-curling, screech-like sound coming from the Pinelands. Kyle, I'm going to let you... uh start out with this one with you know yeah. with you being you know family from new jersey and, and having that experience i know you've heard this story and i'm sure you probably have a personal experience about it oh, Kyle's yeah. mom cussed him just like miss leads to <laughs> he's been cursed does, does yeah. he have a forked tail <laughs> yeah i'll never tell yeah this was a story this was probably one of my earliest memories as a kid my whole family's from new jersey and i'd spend a lot of time up there and yeah, the Jersey Devil was something they used to warn me and my brother and cousins and stuff about when we were little kids, if we wanted to go play in the woods, as we did, that, you know, you got to be careful, the Jersey Devil's out there. And they would describe it much like Mallory did, is like, you know, it was this bat-winged thing with a goat's head or horse's head, and it sucked the blood out of you, and did all types of things, cloven, hooved feet, and uh, yeah, and southern New Jersey, there's a vast area, that's what most people don't think, when they think of New Jersey, they think of like the Sopranos and stuff around New York City, but there's a... The southern part, there's a lot of white wilderness out there. And in South Jersey, the, the Pine Barrens, it's nothing but miles and miles of dense forest with just fire roads cut through it. And there's a lot of marshes and stuff down there. I think they they export like the most amount of cranberries comes out of southern New Jersey. But in and around those areas is where this legend uh, started. And I have an uncle. Now, I don't know if he was just messing with me as a kid, but he swears that he was out hunting one time. And he had an experience with the Jersey Devil. And since that happened, um, he really did stop hunting. 
uh, in that area. So uh, I don't know if it was just convenience or he just got bored and then decided to do something else. But there for a long time, like he never went out there anymore. And he swears he saw something. And he was a guy that I never... I never remember telling tall tales. He was a Vietnam War veteran. I mean, he was just a really honest stand-up guy. Still is. and uh, But yeah, he was spooked by something. And he never would really divulge as I got older. I was kind of interested in it. He never really wanted to talk about it too much. But I definitely think he saw something. And we saw, we say this on our show all the time, is whether someone really experienced something or they thought they think they did, the effect on them is exactly the same. So whether they saw a ghost or they just think they saw a ghost, they walk away from it having the same impact on their life. And I can definitely say that he is not alone uh, with people that are affected by seeing something strange in Southern New Jersey. There's lots of websites you can go on uh, on the internet and you can find, even to this day, people... They take weird, strange photographs of footprints in the area. They claim that they hear things at night. It's a legend that uh, is unique because there's a lot of stories all over North America, but the Jersey Devil seems to be a, a very unique to that area. In fact, their hockey team is the Jersey Devils, so yeah. it's imprinted yeah, so, on everyone in the area. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a folklore story that made it mainstream. You know, that's a good example. Exactly. Of one, so. And this one, so we were walking down here to the studio uh, earlier this morning, and Chris asked me if I listened to these, and I said, yeah, I listened to them. I even did some research on them. So I looked into this one. Nice. This one was really cool because it is, I, I don't remember if it was back in the early 1900s or 1800s, I think early 1900s, they actually brought in some scientists to try to, to, um, to investigate this, to see if it was in fact real. Maybe it had to be the 1800s. Anyway, one of those early centuries. And the best they could figure, that they, they could not document any kind of physical evidence. Not surprising if you're dealing with one of these, you know, kind of ghostly creatures or, or something, but could not documenting, document any physical evidence. It was interesting, given some of the stories of what people described, there was some speculation that maybe what they were seeing was a a sandhill crane that was exiting and flying, you know, with the large wings, mm -hmm. kind of ungainly yeah. um, type of bird. So Yeah, that's was, interesting. But I think, you know, even last time we did the show uh, with Kyle and Cam, you, we had a conversation about, you know, it's hard to believe some of these tales, but if everyone's saying the same thing and these people don't know each other, you know, it's it's possible, you know, you kind of opens your eyes a little more to be like, man, this is the same story from a hundred different people, the same wings and, you know, hoofed feet and, you know, tail and, you know, it, that kind of, you guys probably run into that a lot with all mm -hmm. the different stories that you guys do. It's just the consistency of the story that makes you like, well, man, how did that person see that if it's the exact same thing? And it is odd. Yeah, you're correct. And it, it, it's strange because there's a lot of times that the people that rule a report seeing them, maybe it didn't happen to them, it happened to their grandparents. And their grandparents saw something or dealt with and never told anybody except their children. And then their children relays it to their grandchildren. And it's not until the grandchild approaches the grandparent and is like, would you share it with me? That that story even gets shared. We come across a lot of them where people are like, look, this didn't happen to me, but it happened to my grandmother or it happened to my grandfather. And you know, you got to think about given our age and we look at like our grandparents now, of course, have passed several years ago. But as you get older and see that, you realize that their age and their, you know, era or their, you know, whatever genre of what that they grew up in, their generation, they didn't share things like that. They weren't as open. None of this stuff was really talked about. That's what 
if anything that podcasts have helped along, it's to give people a platform and it's good or bad. Yeah, you're going to get those that make up stories and all that, but then you're going to get those that had something real happen to them that they want to share as well. So it kind of opens that ground where you find more of the stories, but it is it is interesting. I was going to say, what's interesting too with the Jersey Dizzle is it, it comes in flaps and waves. Like there'll be a period where there's a num- numerous sightings and then there won't be any for 10 years and then it'll pop back up. I remember that even in the 1960s, there was a huge flap where for over a period of a couple of weeks, lots of people claimed that they heard strange sounds. Uh, in fact, that the local police department would go around and they would nail up signs all over saying that the Jersey Devil is nothing but a hoax. But this didn't do anything to deter the people in the sightings. <laughs> they think that they were just doing that to put people at ease because what happened is people started flocking to southern New Jersey to see if they could find it. In fact, one of the guys, I'm trying to remember his name, I think his name was Harry Hunt. And he owned uh, the Hunt Brothers Circus, which was like a traveling circus back then. And he was offering $100,000 to anyone who could capture the Jersey Devil. He was wanting to buy it and put it in one of his sideshows. Um, and, and, and I read that. And I read about that. And that money did, yeah. is, the money is un, it remains unclaimed. So if you're listening yeah. to this and you're looking for that, you know, for a quick $10,000 or $100,000, go find it. find the Jersey Devil, Devil, they'll give you 10K. <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure if it you probably needs to be more than 10K yeah. right now, though. Yeah, probably probably we need to up. adjust for inflation. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. For sure. I'm not yeah. selling the Jersey Devil for less than 15. <laughs> I'm not hey, doing I, it. It's the Jersey Devil. I know what I got. Well, That's and you right. got to think about how they've commercialized it because this is another one for which there are numerous festivals. The Jersey Devil Fable Festival is one I just looked up. So yeah, it's, if you if you get this, if you get this demon, this devil, it's worth way more than ten thousand dollars right now. And all jokes aside, if y'all really want to go have some fun, go attend some of those festivals. They are a good time. You get to see all kinds of fun stuff. They'll have books. They'll have. It's great. It really is a good time. Stay tuned to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, sponsored by Purina Pro Plan, after these messages. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Do you guys do a lot of those festivals? I'm just curious. We haven't, but we the ones that we've been to, now, of course, we have friends that that's what they are. As authors, they go and they go to every one of them and set up and all that stuff, and we talk to them. But the few of the conferences and things we've been to, is it's a blast. Yeah. It's a blast to get to hang out and meet. Of course, it's like anything else. But when you get there, it is a good time to get to learn and listen. And the real key for me is, as y'all are talking with these sightings, when you get to stand across from the person that had this sighting or that's relaying it to you, it's different. When you get to where you can tell, like, this person might be full of it or this person knows something happened to them. They're not sure what it is, but they know something happened. And I don't know about you. I've seen Sandhill Cranes before. That doesn't look like a super Paul <laughs> no. Hoven. But what about at night? What if it's at the night, at night in the fog? In the you add all of those elements, you know, and 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 maybe you're colorblind, you know, it's uh, no. So 
I think yeah. it's impossible. No. <laughs> I don't know. I've I've been scared to death by like some hair some a blue herons. Yeah. Well, no, blue heron. You're walking along a rice levee and that thing hug. jumps up. <laughs> yeah, that thing jumps up right next to you. You scare it and it squawks and it's like, you know, wingspans are like six, seven feet almost. And it's like it's like just it's a prehistoric yeah. looking at yeah. yeah. I've heard sand hill cranes really good to eat. Yes. They oh, are. Absolutely. Yes, uh, they are. Makes you kind of wonder how the Jersey Devil would taste if you're able to bag one of those. <laughs> oh, I'm always down for a little taste testing. There's no way I'm eating that thing. You know, really? have to, if, if it's, I'm selling it. I'm not eating it. This thing's worth, worth a just fortune. Just, yeah. just, no. just be like, I tried it. <laughs> I tried it once. <laughs> I All tried right. the Jersey Devil once. Kept me up late. All right, Chris, let's try one more. Since the 16th century, the Mexican folktale of La Llorona has been a staple in the San Joaquin Valley. This legend has many variations, but the core stays the same, water and a weeping woman. According to one variation of the story, a woman was so distraught by her unfaithful spouse that she drowned her children in a river and was later so filled with guilt that she decided to end her life. After death, she was cursed and forced around the waterways until she found her children. Throughout the area, there have been many reports of unearthly screams and apparitions appearing on foggy nights. Other reports state that people have handprints appear on the windows of their vehicles. Some reports take it a step further and say she comes hurling at vehicles on the road trying to steal children. Maybe the most chilling reports of all come from anglers and hunters who have heard a voice whisper, help me. I can't find them. Then, a woman-like figure appears on top of the water. Back to the it's all the all the same ingredients. Yep, right? back to the same ingredients there of the uh, the woman and. But I'll I'll be honest, this one's a little bit uh, creepier with the. Anytime you've involved children, I always feel mm-hmm. like it seems to be much creepier. Um, what was your guys' reaction to to this one? Well, we've heard this story for a, I mean, pretty much your whole life here. Because there are a lot of tales along the Rio, all between here in Mexico, of this exact same thing. There are a lot of them. Even, of course, down on the coast, but often there. Like, I remember one that we got a story. This has been several years back. Uh, from a fellow that worked a ranch out there in southwest Texas. And claims to have, have been that exact thing. I don't remember if they were riding around. He was horseback at the time. But I don't remember why they were out in the evening. I don't remember if it was something that happened and something didn't come back or what it was, but he reported hearing something and riding up on a ridge, looking off into the river and seeing what he said looked like a white mist. Like if you were to just take like TV static almost and put it in a human form, like a ghostly form, and that that was moving and making some sound along the way. Like it's not sure what it was, if it was the moaning or what it was, but it was in that area. So, and it was one of those things he kind of considered that the La Llorona. Wasn't sure what it was. Could have been anything, but at least it was something like that. It is a very interesting story, though, because of like that, it takes place all over the United States. Yeah, and they're a little bit different, each one. I can think of one that uh, takes place. There's an area just outside of San Antonio, Texas, and the area is called Hollering Woman Creek. 
And it's basically the same kind of story, but this one has it that a pioneer family living near the, the banks of this creek were attacked by Native Americans and they killed the woman's husband. And in those days, if you were young in age, a lot of Native Americans would take the children and they would assimilate them into the tribe. Well, the woman didn't want that to happen, so she drowned her children so that they wouldn't be taken. And then it's the same kind of story is where like now if you go down there, you can hear her weeping, people see her, you know, and it's it's it's... The tale itself is kind of morphed. So La Llorona takes place in several different places, like Cam said, along Texas. But, I, you know, you hear stories of it in California, Arizona. And I think the original story originated in Mexico. And I'm not even sure how the what the origin was from the original story. But it's, a, it's pretty popular down here, especially amongst the Texas and Mexican natives, you know. In that area where Mallory's specific story uh, is referenced is in the Central Valley of California. And... Mm. That is a, a very, very, I would say, high traffic waterfowling area. I mean, there's, Mike, you can probably explain that a little better, but um, that that's an area where there's a lot of people out early in the morning along the river. You know, it's, there's, there's a, definitely opportunities for sightings there. But I know one thing, if I'm sitting there in the fog and early morning in the duck blind and I hear somebody whispering like, help me, I can't find them. Like, that's pretty creepy. You know, uh, they're not talking about the duck either. Yeah, they're not talking about ducks. Yeah. <laughs> you tell them to sit down. I'm going to help you and help me retrieve some in a minute. And then we'll go look for what you got missing. And around here, I don't know how it is all over, but around here, it's like um, mothers will use the story of La Llorona to, to keep their kids in check. Like, if you're a naughty kid, La Llorona will come for you. Yeah, don't take go to you. the water. So it's yeah. funny how many of these creepy stories all talk about, you know, keeping kids in line or the, you know, the boogeyman or whatever is going to get you. And that's the way they used to scare kids into doing, into doing and acting right. But uh, the, some of the stories of La Llorona, I think it said it originated all the way back to like Aztec times. Like it's been around a long time. It's just taken on different manifestations. I want to know where these guys get these sad women. I think if I was dead, my wife would celebrate. (laughs) You would hear chuckling. (laughs) Your wife definitely. Yeah, my wife for sure would be like, yeah, I'm glad that's done. (laughs) Now we're done with that. If I die in a mysterious fashion, don't look into it. (laughs) I deserved it. That's pretty good. Yeah, this one, you know, this one carries that really, like you mentioned, kind of the test of time. And it also falls in line just like, you know, the Great Lakes story with the weeping woman and the weird female, you know, a paranormal activity. Um, Very, very interesting. And that's something that I bet y'all are going to get a lot of. Being waterfowlers, of course, water in the area that you want, you're going to get a ton of those kind of interactions. Yeah. Of crazy, creepy mists and possible apparitions in and around that water. Yeah, Chris, I think you were the one that shared with us the story of the man in the mist or whatever. Yeah, the Arkansinian in the mist. Yeah, Yeah, that's a cool story. Yeah, no, and I've, you know, I shared that on the last episode and or last time we were with you guys and um, got a lot of comments from people who were like, yeah, that is super weird, super creepy. You know, we've talked about it around the office, you know, but it involves all the same ingredients, you know, it was foggy and water and, you know, just, you know, having an apparition kind of show itself right in front of me and other people. I think that was what the best part about that story was, but there was other people with me. I wasn't the only yes. one that saw it. Yeah. And so other people can verify like, yeah, that that definitely happened. So, And you said like the outfit he was wearing was, well, it looked old. Yeah, right? more like historical waterfowling. It wasn't like a new pair of waders and, you know, it was actually, so you know, crazy. the old, old style jackets and like his call lanyard. I remember looking for some reason I, I saw that he had a single 
lanyard on his neck, but the lanyard wasn't like a newer one that you would have now. It was on just like a piece of string or twine with one duck call. And so, you know, back in the day, guys weren't walking around with nine calls on their neck like like they do now. You know, yeah. you got $1,500 worth of acrylic duck calls on your neck now. Uh, <laughs> like you said, it's just to show off. But, um, you know, that really kind of jumped out to me, showing that may, that that potentially was someone from the past. It's so. either that or it's Dale Bordelon walking through <laughs> Yeah, that. yeah. Do you remember if there was any sound at the time you heard all that? No, I think I remember it, it had gotten quiet. And I think, remember, I mentioned in the story that what was interesting was he, you could barely hear water moving. Like it wasn't yes. like when someone walks in the, in a flooded timber hole, you can hear it. You know, mm. it's very, you know, you can hear somebody coming from a hundred yards. But with this, it was like he was moving, but it was not, you know, it wasn't the same yeah. rush and splash of water. It was almost like he was fluid with the water. So it was, you know, I don't He'd know. He walked that path a thousand times before. Yeah, that's exactly right. For centuries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's cool. Ah, it's so awesome. Yeah, that was a good one. I, I had somebody not too long ago uh, bring that up and say, uh, "Tell me that was that was one of their favorite stories on that uh, on that episode." Yeah, we've gotten some emails about that. That uh, it's great. Was, that other people have had similar experiences, you know, as far as, you know, I've seen somebody else out hunting and you walk over there and there's no one there. And you're lucky to have that experience. That's what's cool about it. Yeah, no, I'm very, I mean, I talked to my buddy, one of my best friends that I hunt with now, you know, we talk about that quite a bit. And like, after we did that show, you know, he called me, he's like, Oh, that's so awesome. You know, that was, that was the wildest, you know, morning of hunting. I don't Mm -hmm. even think, I don't remember if we even shot any ducks, but we have never, we'll never forget that day. You know, there's, that's, that's what makes, that's honestly what makes being out and about in the outdoors so awesome. You know, yeah. you, could, you could, the potential to having some of these experiences. And that's going to play on your mind for the rest of your life. In the most inopportune moments of sitting around the house, you're just going to be like, was he real? Yep. Was that that's a real person? <laughs> yeah. Did that really happen? Years now, did, did, did I really see that? Yeah. So it makes it so great. Yeah. No, I mean, I tell the story all the time and I get goosebumps from it sometimes just telling the story. So that's what, that's what really makes it jump out to me. Mm-hmm. All right, Chris, let's do one more. As you travel through Southern Louisiana, be aware that even some of the roads are haunted. Two roads on which you should be vigilant while traveling are Bayou Sully Road and Borg LaRose Highway. Bayou Sully Road or Louisiana Highway 57 connects Dulac to Cocodri. Legend has it that a man is seen hitchhiking by the side of the road. If you stop to pick him up, he'll offer you a trade, a passenger or a soul for a treasure. Borg LaRose Highway, or LA-24, is a sparsely populated area surrounded by bayous, cane fields, and swamps. This road has a reputation for being one of the most haunted roads in the state. The tale of the Rougarou begins here. The Rougarou, a Cajun monster that resembles a werewolf, has occupied the wetlands near this highway since the 18th century. According to legend, it's a dangerous creature known for attacking livestock and humans. It can even curse those who see it, leading to a life of misfortune. The only way to protect yourself from the Rougarou is to have a piece of silver, which repels the creature, or have 13 pennies in your pocket because it can't count past 12.
All right, so we've got two different stories there, you know, that the the hitchhiker and then you go to the Rougarou. Now, I've always heard about the Rougarou. Uh, I've spent quite a bit of time down in South Louisiana. Um, and some of these places like these roads, they're, they're pretty creepy on their own if you're not from there or experienced. But uh, have you got, you guys have a lot of stories from South Louisiana? Uh, I'm sure that oh, there's yeah. probably, yeah, that's probably kind of a, a hotbed for some of these stories. Anytime you get out in those swamps, things start getting wild. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you've been down through there. We had a, a about 25 years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, my wife's aunt and uncle lived in a little place called Cameron Parish, Louisiana, mm-hmm. which is you know, deep down there. And then we drove up to Lake Charles. And I remember driving along laughing to myself because there was no shoulders. There was just ditches full of water and alligators. And that was it. <laughs> and I was, because you'd be driving along and see their eyes, you know, like you, we're worried about hitting deer. You got to worry about running over alligators down there. And I just remember thinking to myself at the time is like, how many people could get lost out here and you would never know it? Like literally, I mean, you could wreck your car. You didn't know what you, you might be out there for a hot minute before anybody came along out there. So the idea of these hitchhikers might being something spectral or might being something is evil isn't really a shocker is what moves around out there. Yeah. I mean, that, that can be, I know Mike lived down there for quite some time. So you've probably heard all kinds of different. The story of the Rougarou is legendary. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, to state the obvious, but it was, it was, it is one of the most, I would say, uh, commercialized uh, legends mm-hmm. out there, probably rivaling uh, the New Jersey devil. Uh, there is a, there's a rum factory or rum distillery that I, I think their name is, is, something to do with with Rougarou. Um, I was actually on one of those roads or, or right near one of those roads in that story two weeks ago, Bayou Salee Road. Mm, uh, nice. Where, where it comes out to, um, well, it, it comes out to a little place called uh, Cecil's La Perouse Grocery. And uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of the end of- No hitchhikers? Uh, uh, you know- I saw a hitchhiker. There we go. <laughs> it was there it was not on that road, but it was somewhere in South Louisiana. Um, I make it a habit of not picking up hitchhikers. I'm very glad I didn't now after listening to this I was going to say, being that we don't hear the rest of the story, we know what kind of person he is. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the Rougarou is the one, one that you heard so much about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the one time you pick a guy up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. A lot of people will, I mean, every every so often we'd get a, a photo. Uh, it would circulate sometimes through our, our DU staff of this weird looking creature. It would turn out to be the sort of a, a hairless coyote. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's always the, the chupacabra or, yeah. or root I was going to say, for you guys in Texas, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, Interestingly, I saw something online. Like th- that's the great thing about uh, about the internet. You can find all sorts of weird ideas, and and people are having fun with all sorts of of stories. They created a bracket, you know, pairing up different uh, ghosts or, oh. or or, or um, creepy um, creepy legends. The Rougarou was paired with uh, with Chupacabra. Who do you think won? I'm going Chupacabra. I'm going Rougarou. Rougarou. Yeah, I'm going Rougarou. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty tough. Yeah, Rougarou. You know, yeah. I think yeah. it was inspired. I think it was inspired by like a, a curse that like, you know, a voodoo priest put on somebody in New Orleans. I think that's how it started. And then I remember in the in the, in the the intro, they were talking about the 13 coins. You can keep 13 coins in your pocket. That's how I confused I was, Kyle. I was always told that it doesn't have to be coins. It, it, but if you want, if you're afraid of the Rougarou, you would put 13 objects, small objects, by your door, and for whatever reason, the Rougarou can't can't pass 12. If you put 13 objects, it'll perplex it till the sun comes up, and then you'll be protected. That's what we were told as kid. But in addition to the ghost hitchhiker and the Rougarou, there's also the Honey Island Swamp Monster, 
which is Louisiana's version of Bigfoot. And uh, I receive a lot of stories of hunters in Louisiana who have run-ins with Bigfoot more than I do the Rougarou or Dogman or whatever the it goes by now. You, but, you know, when you think about where the sightings are taking place, if there is a creature out there, that's a really good place for it to be in because it is hard to get through, right? Especially on foot. And there's just all types of critters. So I'm not saying that there is one, but if there is, that's a really good, good place spot to, to hang out. Yeah. And it's yeah. also got good food down there. Let's not kid around. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, we were in Lafayette, uh, I don't know, when we were living there seven or eight years ago, and there was an escaped convict. And that escaped convict tried to tried to evade police oh, by, no. by hiding out in the Atchafalaya Basin. That dude didn't last very long. <laughs> yeah. He was, try, he yeah. was trying to get out of there. Uh, it was He's not the place that you in. want to be. Like, yeah. I changed my mind. That's right. That's right. Here mind. I am over here. Y'all come get me. Yeah. yeah. You're like, Sorry about whoa. That. Yeah, between the gators and the mosquitoes, you wouldn't lie. I wouldn't even worry about the Rougarou out there. Mosquitoes got me. I'm enough with that. I don't yeah. need anything else. Mosquitoes get up. I'm like, yeah, just get me back away from these things <laughs> it is a very uh, it's also like louisiana is one of those places that seems to have some sort of unique energy to it i don't mm -hmm. know if it's because like when you go to new orleans it feels that way yeah. anytime you're in a, i don't know what it is about all that area but there is an uneasiness when you get out into them swamps i'm like yeah no we're not supposed to be there yeah, and what's interesting about Louisiana, too, and, and some of these stories and sightings and, and the folklore of it is a lot of where these stories are coming from. Also, if you were to compare that to data that DU has that shows basically per hunter per day concentrations of, of waterfowl hunters, they're some of the most concentrated areas where there's more duck hunters in some of those parishes than almost anywhere in the United States. So you think, you know, early morning timeframes, you've got a lot of people traveling the road. You've got a lot of people out in the marsh. You know, you've got, there's a lot of eyes out there to potentially, you know, verify or run into and, and really even expand on these stories for, you know, years and years and years. So I think that's a cool correlation. Yeah. And let me ask you this. Do you ever lose ducks? Like, let's say while you're out there, you hit one and then now you can't find it. It, it does happen. Yes. So you take the abnormal amount of hunters in that area, occasionally losing animals, Seems to me it's an opportune place for anything to feed. Hmm? Anything's yeah. going to be able to go in there. They're going to hear the gunfire. Look at Kodiak Island. You land on Kodiak Island, touch a rifle off, brown bear coming. Yeah. That's what's happening. They know it's the dinner bell. If I was some sort of something that didn't want to have to work real hard for my food, I would believe I would go there and just wait. It sounds like what bald eagles are doing right now. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. You out of there. You move in there and you just clean up whatever's left. Yeah. So basically, you're, you're saying that these, whatever that could be, are actually seeking out hunters in the marsh to get closer well, to them. Be. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, they could be. If it's a physical creature, that's a way for it to feed without putting forth any effort and without putting forth any of its own skin in the game that may get a chance of being seen. Mm -hmm. They could easily linger in that area till everybody's out of it, move in in the night, however that they wanted to do it. Not to mention you could get into the idea that if they are supernatural or paranormal, then they could be feeding off of energies, which is what we talk about. And what better energy could you feed off of than the joy of having a successful hunt or the disappointment? All these things that you start talking about emotions. If this thing is truly, and I know we're getting out there, but if there is a way that you could feed on emotions, then you know, you would want to be around a large group of people. More people, more emotions. More emotions, more food. It's yeah. the same thing. It sounds a lot like uh, what dolphins do 
with recreational anglers. They'll follow them, yep. uh, follow the boats. Oh yeah, there you bug go. the heck out of uh, out of anglers as well as bald eagles. Uh, bald eagles have adapted to generally what you just described. If the in certain areas, the discharge of a of a shotgun or or a uh, they see free a, meal. A, a falling falling duck. Yep, that's a, it's a free meal. You got to get it before the bald eagle does. And so it's yeah. kind of creepy to extend that same type of adaptation to these. Uh, yeah, yeah. These, these monsters. If it's physical, we kind of have to approach it that way, right? Mm-hmm. If it's a physical creature, you got to just have to take. Well, if it's truly a thing, what's it doing there? Yeah. Well, it's got to eat. It's got to drink. It's got to sleep. Well, then this is what it would probably be doing there. Because otherwise, you don't hear about highly concentrated areas of hunters, and that's where they have all these sightings of Bigfoot. Bigfoot's nowhere in the in the picture. Mm-hmm. You start getting into highly concentrated areas. They're like, oh, we're all hunting in this area, and we've never seen anything. Yeah, there might be a reason. Because you see it, there's a chance that it's going to get shot. Yeah. So it knows to stay away from gunfire. Whereas if you're small enough to live off of whatever the hunter's taken down, then you could move in closer to that area, stay a little bit more. I mean, you're talking about any... Let's let's just use a goblin. We were making jokes, but you talk about a goblin. If you're going off the size of a goblin, it's pretty easy to hide compared to an eight foot tall, hairy humanoid. Right? I mean, that's just the way yeah. it is. So, I mean, it could be. You guys have your own dog man or rougarou uh, sightings up up there. The land between the lakes. You guys have your own version of the same thing. Yes, there is, and it didn't make the uh, didn't make the story. This story just mainly because it's, uh, but it, it's like. Uh, I've heard this several different times, and it's almost like uh, it is almost very similar to the chupacabra or a, a wolf of some kind. And it's like a maybe I think you described it in our last episode like a dog man up there that's living in the land between the lakes. And that area yeah. is super remote. I mean, you go up there, there's, I mean, hundreds of thousands of acres where nobody lives. I think there's a famous story of some people camping up there in the land between the lakes, like in some RVs, and then they're being terrorized by this werewolf-looking creature, and it, you know, left scratch marks all over the outside of their RV, and things like that. But it's it's like so many of the other stories that the, the, they're similar stories, but just different locations across the North America. Mm-hmm. But they're very similar. And do you take that as more of a, a you know a confidence factor and the possibilities, or you know what I mean, or is it like maybe these regions just kind of adapted these stories? to fall in line with something like the chupacabra or the rougarou. And what's your guys' opinion on that? Man, that opens up a whole nother can of worms mm-hmm. when you start getting into the fact of, because then we're going to have to start getting into, are these things actually flesh and blood? Are yeah. what we see in flesh and blood, are they a, like, so they've, they've been known through time as tulpas. Mm-hmm. So it's like a thought form or a thought process of, I kind of equate it to along the lines of people uh, and prayer. A lot of people believe in mass prayer. They want to get together. They have huge prayer circles, all of this. Well, if you believe that that energy helps and that that is a full blast of good energy, then there is a way that there has to be darker evil energy. There has to be a balance. So if that's a fact, everybody could possibly be putting their energy into, oh my gosh, is this thing real? Could it physically form something? If you can physically feel changes with prayer, then you have to be willing to believe that you could physically feel changes if enough people thought about something that was bad as well as something that was good. So then you start getting into, is this thing real or is this thing an emotional spirit? What is this? And then once you get into that, why is it in that area? Because like Kyle had brought up, you start looking at these old folklore stories. A lot of them has to do with curses. It has to do with like possibly voodoo, black magic. They've wronged a shaman. They've wronged something that brings that on. Now that could be 
the old way of thinking from past times, you know, several hundred years ago in this area. Could have been the way it is from what we've learned now, or it could truly have been some sort of black magic. I don't know. So you start getting into it. But certain areas, like you're talking about they're the land between the lakes, certain areas like that fit the story so well that it's almost like, was it there to start with or was it our belief that put it there? Was it our fear of the unknown? Just like he talked about a mom's telling their kids these things. Is it the fear of the unknown that caused us to fill in the blanks? Because what's worse? The worst thing you could ever get is when one of your partners texts you, hey, we need to talk. That's it. That's all you get. If your wife said, we need to talk when you get home, and that's the way it was left, your mind's going to fill in so many blanks. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be like, what? I haven't done anything. <laughs> what? It's the same thing in these dark areas. You yeah. see something scary. You initially attach something to it. If you have enough people hearing the story of, let's say, the Rougarou, they get the idea they start bleeding. You could, in theory, form something there. Some maybe you give that evil I mean, or that darkness or whatever energy or power to where it there it is. I mean, think of the old movie. It was literally called Curse of the Werewolf. Yes. Mm -hmm. And in that film, you know, or that story, you know, the guy did something wrong to the gypsies and they cursed him. In Land of the Lakes, that area between Tennessee and Kentucky, I my mind immediately goes to two families that are feuding yep, back in the day. And then somebody did somebody wrong and they put a curse on them or a hex. And the story's just grown. And they yeah. talk without their, their mouth moving. How y'all done? That's just the way it works. Y'all see that? You watch that? You done all right? I mean, it's they talk with oh them. That's the way. Oh, boy. Hey, that's all right. I know it, too. All hate mail to Cam Hill. Come Hale. on. Here's my Expanding perspective. in here right now. My brother-in-law talks just like that. I'll bring him in here. <laughs> oh, that's great. No, I mean, there are so many different variations of these stories, and it's cool to talk about them. But, you know, kind of like we had, we and we started the show, and we said, which one would you rather run into, the ghost or the uh Google or, or the, the goblin. The, the yeah. goblin. So, which one of these stories that we went through would be the creepiest for you two? If you guys are sitting out, you know, maybe mm. you're sitting on a on a little marsh and you're in a canoe paddling in for a duck hunt, morning duck hunt. The fog rolls in, and which one would you not want to run into? I would say I would not want to run into the Rougarou or a werewolf or dog man. To me, that's be very very chilling. Mm -hmm. Now, if I had a choice, I'd like to run into the man in the mist like you had, because that, that would just sounds cool. <laughs> yeah. I would not want to run into the La Llorona. That, that was yeah. mine. That was mine. Yeah. That's I, the one I don't want to bump into. Yeah. I think La Llorona for me, and then also the the ghost ships, the, the two schooners full of military men that, you know, like to see that. passed away in 1812. I think the creepiness of it, like I'm, I'm kind of, I'm confident in my ability to shoot. So like a Rougarou, something like that, I'll take my you can, chances. You can wound it. Yeah. Maybe it I can just scare like it. You know? you're, you're, you're not, 40? <laughs> yeah, you're not scaring the La Llorona or you're, you know, no. so that's, that's probably the ones for me. That's the La Llorona for me. Yes. If I saw yes. the Rougarou, I'd be like the, the ghost of Mr. Chicken where I'd be just like shaking so bad I wouldn't be able to. Did they even get the shot You'd off. have buck fever yeah, so yeah, bad at no each It's old Don Nazi. I would hope that I would have had, I would have shot a couple of ducks already and I would have at least tried to kind of throw them out oh, yeah. there and say, hey, now take these, take talking. these, you know? That's but you right. can't you do that with La Llorona. It's like, no, she doesn't care. You can offer. For the girls, just leave me alone. Yeah. That's it. It's There's the La Llorona thing. We used to make jokes about it and we still do, is I would always, like, I would hunt, like go out and actively, if somebody invited you, would go out and want to look for Bigfoot, sure. But I would never ghost hunt because you could never tell when the ghost is in the back of your truck. 
Like yeah. you could literally literally bring something with you and not know it. It could attach itself to you or to a, a somebody with you. Whereas you're going to know if Bigfoot's hiding in the back of your truck. You're going to know if there's a Rougarou under the seat. You may not know that you picked up, oh, check out this old bottle I found here. That's pretty cool. Well, maybe there was something attached to it. You don't know. That's With all of this stuff, like we don't know. There's so many one-offs. But the La Llorona was... Is definitely yeah. I don't mess with spirits. I don't Mm -mm. mess with Ouija boards, Mm -mm. spirit boards. I don't like to go ghost hunting. I don't. I don't need that in my life. So yeah, you don't need to take a chance of bringing something home. That's for sure. No, no, no. My question to you guys: Are you able to turn these thoughts off when you go into the woods early in the morning and it's foggy? Absolutely not. (laughs) You terrify yourself. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I just did a, we just released an episode last week where I talk about that very thing that like, you know, I'll read all these stories and I hear from listeners and stuff. And I, I mean, I can't help it when I'm sitting there alone in the woods in the dark, it it starts freaking me out and just simple sounds of a squirrel or an armadillo or something. I'm like, what is that? What is that? Then I have to tell myself, stop, stop. You're overreacting. But yeah, it does affect me. I'm not going to lie. When you're walking out without the light on, you know, it's just enough moonlight to make out the trail. And you're like, yeah, I got about a mile to get back to the truck. This ought to be fun. You just stroll in the dark carrying a recurve. You're like, yeah, this is brilliant. It's what I'm doing here. Yeah. So that that's a good, leads me to an important question. Are you less at ease when you're going out and it's dark, when you're going out in the morning, or when you're coming back, when you're coming out of the mm. field and dark is descending yeah. upon you. You know, that's funny. I think I like I like being in the in the stand in the evening more than I like going to the stand in the morning. I think I don't know why. Walking into the woods when it's already been dark for hours freaks me out a little bit more than if it was just daylight 40 minutes ago. I don't know why, because it makes I, no sense. I think it's opposite for me. I think it's I, I think in the evening it's worse because <laughs> this is ridiculous. In the mornings <laughs> In the mornings, Rougarou's got to sleep in, right? Like, he's had a hard night of terrorizing people (laughs) and, like, stealing chickens, whatever Rougarou's do in the evening, I don't know. But whatever they got going on, they've had a hard night of it. I like to think when I get out there early in the mornings, they're already, like, you're passing them, right? Like, you, oh, and the roommate, there's my roommates going to bed as I'm going to work. Like, that's kind of the way I feel. But at night, I feel like everything's just getting up and getting stirring. Like, oh, at sunset, all right, I might bump into something See, while I'm milling around. Now you here. just ruined my evening hunt. <laughs> yeah. My yeah, and, hunt. and so here's the, here's the other thing is at night, you've got what? Seven, eight, nine more hours of dark. Whenever you're going out oh, yeah. the first thing in the morning, you can at least think <sighs> to yourself, all right, well, I only have to make it through another hour, two hours, whatever the case is. you got an hour, an hour and a half. Or, a, or a half hour, mm-hmm. you know, when you hear that strange noise over in the, over in the woods. But if you hear that noise you're whenever, you're, whenever you're walking out, yeah. And you know that yeah. Rougarou or whatever it is, it's just woken up, it's hungry, it's sharp, and you're... It's had its coffee. Yeah. And that's looking Yeah, for I mean, you. a perfect example. We were, um, me and Kim were mule deer hunting in Arizona three years ago, and we had hiked way up in here in the woods, and we were sleeping in our uh, hammocks. We each had our own hammock. Uh, and there was one night... You don't we got to tell them that part. About <laughs> 10 o'clock, and I, and I kept hearing this sound, and I was like, stop <laughs> yeah. it. You're freaking... There's nothing out there. Because there's this, there's a legend of a monster out there called the Mogollon Monster, and it's their version of a Sasquatch or Bigfoot. And I'd roll over and try to go to sleep, and ten minutes later, I'd hear something moving through our camp, and I kept, I kept unzipping the hammock and looking out. And it wasn't until I did that about seven times that I realized it was my beard rubbing on the <laughs> nylon of the hammock, and it was me the whole time that was making the sound. And then you just have to lay there in the moonlight and be like, I'm an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> I just find it. I'm not going to tell anybody but Cam. Yeah. And then, you know, a year later, then I said it on the air. Yeah. But 
Yeah. Sometimes it's just little things like that. It freaks you out. That's why I don't, that's why I don't grow a beard. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. (laughs) That's why. (laughs) That's that's entirely it. I tried it one time. Didn't work for me. And so I'm like, no, it's freaked me out. Good move. That way you don't freak yourself out. Good move. (laughs) That's right. That was, that's the strategy behind that. So yeah, no, I mean, that's. He was telling me that was hilarious (laughs) that next morning. He's like, I thought someone was going to get me. Well, I just like the fact that you did the research, like you guys are going, like planning a trip. And this is something that, you know, waterfowl hunters should do. This would be great. Um, You know, if you're planning a trip, you know, you guys are going out to Arizona, you're going mule deer hunting, someplace you've probably not had a whole lot of experience hunting. Mm -hmm. And the first thing you do, Kyle, is research the mountain monsters that live up there. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's like 13 sightings, not very far from where at. And of course, I brought that up, you know, over dinner one night. Yeah, as you're sitting around a campfire. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you're glassing for bucks. You're glassing for the monster, too. You're like, come on, somebody show yourself. I urge everyone, everyone listening, I urge anytime you have a hunting trip planned, do it. If nothing else, it's just for fun. Look up the folklore and the creepiness of the area that you're going to hunt. And so then do do you adjust your cartridge selection or your rifle selection to kind of match both the game? Okay. Both carrying recurve. (laughs) Oh, okay. We both had our recurve. Yeah. No, we're good. Yeah. (laughs) You can at least like get away poking yeah. it at them poking it. as they close in on you. No, that's also great. it's easy to run. You can throw it and run. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking about that while in the hammock before I determined it was myself making the noise. It's like, why did I stop rifle hunting again? Yeah. <laughs> like these thoughts come to your your mind, you know. And I'm like, well, now I'm five miles away from the nearest road. Yeah. Wake up, Kyle's gone. <laughs> He left just you out there. He, the just, he yeah. just left you for the monster. He used you yeah. as bait. Oh, yeah, right? That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been fantastic. Oh, it's always fun chatting with you guys. Yeah, it's been great. We've been able to share some really good stories, some uh, definitely places, really, really popular waterfowling destinations where there are going to be and probably are even this morning, especially up around the Great Lakes. Uh, the hunting's getting really good up there right now. And I know that, you know, the, the guys who do it are doing it um, in the fog and in the, you know, early morning hours. And so I'm sure that hopefully we didn't scare anyone away from a, a hunt here in the next couple of weeks. But no, not uh, scare them away, but just kind of give them a little bit more, uh, a few more things to be excited about. Yeah, to look for. Yeah. So, anything else, guys, that you guys might have? uh, You know, one thing that our listeners can do is they can send their stories if they have any stories to dupodcast at ducks.org. And if you do that, we will send it over to the Expanded Perspectives podcast. And be sure to go over and check out their stuff. They have some great stories. And like both of them, they're both big hunters. So, you know, they know that this is, you know, there's a relationship there with, you know, hunters being outdoors and and it just happens. Uh, Did you guys have any other stories that you guys might? want to share before we hop off i don't have anything i don't have anything crazy now we've we've gotten a few that's coming in but usually it picks up we start getting a bunch from hunters by the time rifle season picks up when you got more guys out there doing stuff and that's whenever you find things like that because most of the guys if anything happens to a bow hunter it happens you know sub 30 yards so you really don't want to make i think i even told this story there was an old story going around in arkansas uh we'd covered it years ago and i might have talked about it where a fellow was in a lock-on stand bow hunting and claims he thought that uh, he had, I believe he had paddled in in a, in a canoe, got out and made his way up into some brush, got up in a tree, hung his head, his stand hung and all this, had been hunting this area. And he says that while he was sitting in, st- in the stand, he heard what he thought was cows coming behind him, which he couldn't believe all the way out there. He's like, there's not supposed to be any cattle out here. I don't know what's going on. He said as the, as the sound got closer and all that, then he started seeing this large figure. 
So all he is is sitting in this stand, got his bow out, all of this stuff. It's not daylight yet. It was in the morning before dark, before daylight. Whatever it is comes in. He smells this smell. This thing walks around the tree beside him as he's up in it, sees the broad head with the moonlight reflecting off of it, the way it's shiny on the, the, the broadhead's razor edge. And he said what looked like a first baseman's mitt reached up and grabbed the broadhead, just a giant hand. As it grabs the broadhead, it starts squalling. This thing roars, lets it go, and takes off. Says as it takes off, he witnesses, I believe, at least two others that were with it of this thing runs off. He said as soon as this thing got out of sight where he knew it was good and gone, he got down and left. <laughs> That's like, that's it. I don't know what this is, but that's it. Done. No, I was going to say that just sounds like, an, you know, either one of Bigfoot's type run in or or potentially a giant. Yeah. Right? Kyle's a big fan of giants. Yeah, yeah, I am. Uh, one of the crazy stories I heard is, uh, has nothing to do with paranormal, but a guy here in Texas was hunting. And he said one morning, um, as he was looking around right by his deer stand, a full-size Bengal tiger come walking yep. out of the woods. Wow. And a, he was in a tripod bow hunting. And he said he, he was watching it with his binoculars for 10 minutes. And he called his friend to come get him because he was too scared to get out of the tripod and walk uh, back to his pickup truck because there was a full-size tiger. Holy and the only thing they can think of is somebody, because there's a lot of people that own pet tigers in Texas for whatever reason. I guess somebody's got loose and it was out there on his place. But I wouldn't hunt out there either. I mean, that's a large cat. Talk about ruining your day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that would be awful. Seeing a time. Oh, my gosh. Well, but you guys have all yeah. kinds of strange creatures in Texas now, so that wouldn't be surprising that it's Texas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's some, somebody's bought it, and it's probably loose around here somewhere. Yeah. It'll get shot on somebody else's land. You got to introduce those exotic predators to take care of those uh, exotic ungulates that are all over the place. Now yeah, we've had, we've had numerous people write in with sightings of, like, hyenas. Oh, yeah. In Texas, hmm. in the wild, just while they're out hunting. Yeah, wow. That's, 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 those are no joke either. You don't really want to huh. mess with any I, of those. That, I wouldn't want to mess with one. It kind of sounds like a chupacabra or something like that. Yeah, the, the, the famous chupacabra. We'll eat it. Somebody will shoot one. We'll eat that hyena. <laughs> We're going to eat it. Cook, <laughs> some like it. Cook it with, Cook the, some rice. Yeah. with the Jersey now Devil. Talking, see, he spent enough time down there in Louisiana. Cajuns <laughs> will eat anything, and it don't even have to be yeah. dead. It can just be moving slow, and they will catch it and cook it, and it will be amazing. Yeah, there's probably a recipe for Rougarou. Mm. Oh, one I'm of them sure. has eaten a Rougarou at some point. 100%. In time. You have Rougarou and Boudin. Rougarou stew. Rougarou stew. Yes. <laughs> little jambalaya with the rougarou. I'll take it. Awesome. Well, man, this has been fantastic. I appreciate you guys joining us today, um, sharing these cool stories, you know, sometimes yeah. a little creepy, sometimes a little out there, you non-scientific, know. Non-scientific, expanded yeah. perspectives. I don't I don't mean to be, yeah. be offensive and suggest that your perspectives aren't no. scientific, you know, but... Uh, They're not. They're not. Mike is the gatekeeper. Yeah, storyteller. Mike is the gatekeeper for scientific data and also the uh, we tried to swing the, the door minister open of being correct and not wrong. We allowed so. the door to swing freely. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to be correct about one-off sightings. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's the problem. Yeah, it's hard that's to be. We just, just tell stories. It's difficult to be wrong either. You know, true. Yeah, and that's the beauty of it. It's just one of those things. You're just like, yep, yeah, there it is. Well, that's what we got. We move on. Well, I appreciate it, guys, and uh, we'll have to do this again. Maybe do it yeah, something around anytime. If we get some stories, like I said, we'll send them up to you. Okay. Everybody listening, y'all be careful this year. Have a safe safe hunting season. Safe. Let's make sure that's number one. Absolutely. All of us go out, we all come back. That's how this works. Absolutely. Right. Thank you, guys. It was great spending time with you this year. Thank you. Uh, yes, thank you. We'll see y'all. 
I'd like to thank our guests, Kyle Filson and Cam Hill, the host of Expanded Perspectives, for coming on the show today and just talking about some of the things that are a little creepy, a little uh, maybe not so scientific that waterfowl hunters and hunters in general run into. I'd like to thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for putting the show together and getting it out to you. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on the DU Podcast and supporting wetlands conservation. Happy Halloween. Thank you for listening to the DU Podcast, sponsored by Purina Pro Plan, the official performance dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Purina Pro Plan, always advancing. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit ducks.org slash DU Podcast. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.